can ding at any time Can mobilize some laughs with just one call Like a bunch of lunatics, we'll act you way fast on Two will be rocking till our strength is gone Yeah, this goes on everybody, welcome to episode number 12 of the NFP Podcast, presented by 3D Entertainment. The NFP Podcast is brought to you by Sneaky Weasel Lager and Hey Y'all Southern Iced Teas, the official alcohol sponsors of the show. What's up, everybody? The week of February 15th, we're back in action. We're live once again with me today, Mr. Jason Davidson. Jason, how are you, bud? Doing good, buddy. Doing good. Just enjoying this... Uh fresh air out here in the wilderness and the water valley alberta area the the weather seems to be the common thread right now all over the world not just here in canada but across the u.s as well it looks like there's a a polar vortex uh going on if you don't know if you noticed or not but um day two of del rio this weekend was canceled due to weather so uh Texas is not known for, especially Southern Texas, not known for being cold and uh, miserable. But when it does get cold, I've been there and it's like a wet cold when it's really cold. And oh, like, right oh, through you cold. Yeah. Like right through you. Yeah, for sure. So they yeah, canceled they, uh, it. The Dixie and San Antonio. They actually, um, I was watching the Extreme Bulls on Sunday and they said it right during the performance that they're going to postpone one and catch you know make it up the next week uh del rio did the same with the pbr yep. and the dixie national in uh i think that's in mississippi somewhere correct yep. Canceled yeah canceled the same yeah yeah it looks bad yeah, there's just postponed uh, performance uh, i no, saw the... dakota lewis one of our pbr bull riders made a uh a tweet or a post on instagram that no, no all the flights out of san antonio were canceled every single one of them they weren't yeah. going anywhere anyway it's all shut down. Yeah. So much for riding bulls in the heat of South Texas. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, the NFP page had a tweet that it, the first day it looked like uh, a Carl Barrett bull riding in McCord, Saskatchewan on New Year's. All the guys were fucking <laughs> bundled up and freezing cold. Get a fucking fire going well, behind the, the one thing I shoots. noticed watching San Antonio rider and, and, uh, Stetson Wright were up to first two performances and everybody was wearing gloves and in hoodie. I, I think somebody actually got on in the bull ride in a hoodie. <laughs> oh yeah. It's kind of funny when, when it is like shitty weather, like even when it's like a, when you're rodeoing and it's pouring rain out, everybody's give a fuck just goes down the drain and you'll see guys oh, yeah. just, hoodies and you know, just fucking don't want to, you really, you don't want to be there. Right. No, no. And that's where the, the PBR has always been, you know, they're in arenas. You never had to worry about what was going on outside. You, know, yeah. they, you, you get spoiled, but, you know, looking at our schedule, are we going to have to try and get outside and, and deal with the elements in the, you know, late summer, fall? I don't, I don't know that yet, but it's a possibility. Yeah. It definitely is. Yeah. Fucking A. Oh, I'm ready to roll when, wherever we can go. And I'm sure everybody up here in Canada is the same where, um rain or shine everybody's ready to get back to work so we're good to go in that sense i think support. Yeah, yeah what have you been up to there in the north country just trying to stay warm keeping water bowls going yeah man it's been cool it hasn't really broke at all it's still been you know for like 
a week and a half now. Uh, it's been close to that, you know, minus 40, minus 45 mark the whole time. So really just, yeah, trying to keep all the animals alive and warm and water bowls going. And yeah, it's, it's just a crazy time of year. I've never really been home, you know, like at this time of year, either we're on vacation somewhere, but you know, riding and stuff, this was all, always the first half of the, of the unleashed the beast or the built for tough series. So, you know, just been usually just across the U S where right now it's cold, but usually it's, you know, the weather's really nice down there. So really taking in the elements for the first time in my life for a long time. So yeah, it's not the, not the funnest of places. I don't think I'm going to feel real bad for you here, Tanner. It's the first time you've actually had to put on some long underwear in the history of your lifetime, huh? Yeah, you must, exactly. be, you must, you must be missing Maui, your annual Maui trip. Yeah, I'm supposed to be on the fucking golf course right now. <laughs> you can try it at catchers there. Just make, yeah, sure exactly. you, just make sure you don't use the white balls, though, because you're going to have a hell of a time. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's the shit. But even though... Uh, even though Del Rio, the second day got canceled, like we talked, they're gonna they're gonna make that up. I think this weekend in uh, Picos, Texas, it's a it's scheduled for Saturday, Sunday, but on Friday they're gonna get everybody there and have the second day, which would have been of Del Rio. So they're gonna try to finish the event off this Friday and then move into the scheduled event in Picos, Texas, Saturday, Sunday once again. So uh, well, try to make the, up for that. The, yeah, there's the PBR doing what they do, just. Uh, Moving mountains, you gotta appreciate them. <laughs> yeah, they did moving get snow, to, moving snow to get back on the mountain. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully it clears up down there because there's a bunch. There's videos of, uh, you know, Cord McCoy and uh, HD Page and all those guys trying to haul those those bulls around. And um, they're not used to snow and no, icy no, roads no. and any of that down there, and not equipped for it. You know, being down there in some of those storms, it's fucking. It's everything shuts down, right? And we're kind of spoiled, not spoiled to it. We're just used to fucking living in this shit. Um, but when that well, we happens, can adapt, when, yeah, yeah, you know? we can adapt real easy. Three different times in Lethbridge where it was a bit of a challenge to get home, but that one year it was, I was 13 hours driving home. I Fuck. remember, yeah, Grand Prairie PBR Canada finals last year. Well, how would you know? You don't, you probably slept all the way home. Yeah, hours. yeah, I might have done that. Yeah. But every time yeah. I opened my eyes and looked up through the, through the windshield, it looked like it was bad. <laughs> looked like it was bad weather. <laughs> every time I woke up and looked up. Oh, <laughs> uh, fuck. Uh, our boy, though, Cooper Davis gets the old NFP podcast bump, comes on the show during the week, steps into the weekend, wins himself a 15 15. So we won't take full credit for it. Yeah. But- the credit's definitely there. We'll take some. Oh, We're gonna take that. some. Are you are you gonna let me uh are you gonna let me trade uh my pick? No, no, are we tra- we don't have trades, eh? No, fuck no, no trades. But yeah, what if I uh what if I wrote a check to the Pausebond Foundation? <laughs> now that we could talk. Huh? We could talk then. Yeah, okay, we, we talk, better wait, we better wait for Scott then too. He yeah. might want to change, change his and then it'll be go to the highest bidder. Yeah, that's right, that's good. I might have to change my bull though after um, last weekend. Riding solo is in the fifteen fifteen as well, and had a bad out. Kind of hit, hipped himself, and and hit his head. Did you see it? No, I didn't see it. Oh man, like is you know when a bull turns back too close to the bucket shoots and they yeah. hit their head and it kind of messes them up. Well, I mean, smoked messed him up. Oh yeah, like hit it and like stopped him and he like took a couple steps backwards. Like yeah. 
Hopefully he's okay. Oh, he'll, he'll, yeah, but, he might need some time off. Yeah, that's the thing. He needs some time off. And I'm, I don't know, like, if it was me, I probably wouldn't want to be turning back like no. that. You know, do it. No, you know, plus, that could mess with him. Tandy's going to have him in concussion protocol for a couple of weeks. So yeah. he's going to have to stay in the feed pen. Yeah, hopefully though. And he's been hauled pretty hard, you know, to start the year off. So I think he's, I think he'll be all right for a break, but we'll see what, what Cord does. So I didn't get to watch the 15 15. What was the top bowl? How come you couldn't watch 15 15? Because CBS puts on fucking Doctor Who's fucking medical alerts over top of the yeah. broadcast. Yeah. Have you seen that? Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Oh my God. The last three weeks, I've tried to tune into the 15 15. It's been recorded on my PBR, get ready to go. And it's fucking, yeah, Doctor Who's. It's like a, oh, like a paid program every time. Like, why the fuck? What is, <laughs> what? I don't understand how how that can happen but yeah so that's fun for everybody in in canada i guess that's where we rank in pbr in canada with cbs that's brutal that's so brutal yeah but no so i didn't get to watch it uh the actual broadcast as well just got you know try to go back and go through the through the results but the high mark bull was the one that we all uh overlooked chiseled 46 and a half in the 15 15 and five oh, lots of time lots of time Lots yeah. of time. He fired Lots your bull, time. though. Your bull makes his debut. Whoopa with Colton Fritzland. 45 points. Real I'll solid. take it. Yeah. yeah, I'll take it. Solid. Yeah. solid. First one back. And you're probably going to be really happy with the matchup this weekend in Picos, Texas, the 15-15. Cooper Davis. Whoopa. See? that's what, We better get Scott on here sooner than later so we can get this... Uh, this trade worked out if we can or not. Yeah. <laughs> I, the stars are lining up. Yeah. that's Actually, we've been, we've been how, how about the, this week, lots of response on the podcast, positive stuff, some retweets by some uh, pretty famous people. That was, that was cool. Yeah. I had Larry, the cable guy chiming in there, you know, all the boys are seem to be getting behind it. So yeah, it's, it's good. To, I got, good to see I got it. some messages. I got a message from New Zealand. Yep. from a guy that was over here oh back in the 90s i think it was playing fastball came to his first rodeo at Asquith. it was an amateur rodeo the hometowner yep. and that was the last weekend of calgary stampede and then yep. i had the shonovan pro rodeo on the monday tuesday shonovan always kicked off the the east run for the canadian professional rodeo association so I don't know. We must have been bullshitting in the beer gardens on Sunday. And I said, I had to go to Shonovan and he's like, well, could I come? I'm like, sure. <laughs> jump in. The fucking yeah, so metropolis he, of Shonovan. Oh my. I remember <laughs> taking uh, <clears throat> James Northy there one year on his permit. And we came from uh, Dwayne Robinson, Dwayne and Vicky. Well, it's, it's big Valley now, yeah. right. During the country con yeah. concert. But one year it was a, uh, it was called stage 13. It was a rock concert like Nickelback and, uh, I think the headliner was the hip actually. Fuck. Anyway, yo, yeah, we got up Monday morning. And after... that's the big Valley Jamboree now, the, the country yeah. music one now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. How was that? How was it when oh. it was a rock concert? We had like the Mardi Gras beats yeah. on for the Sunday performance, which it was at 10 in the morning. So you oh. get up, you get up um, back in those days. Oh, you're what, still up. <laughs> yeah or you're still up you know <laughs> you do the perf and we had these mardi gras beads and that i've never seen anything like it i had a handful around my neck and you just walk over to the stands and you know the deal with the beads um 
so that was an interesting uh, morning. Yeah. And then, you know, you get through it and it was hot and dry and, and that arena was deep and sandy. And I, and I, uh, I remember I took a good, pretty good mauling by one of Kelly Armstrong's bulls that morning. <laughs> so I got into the Bud Lights and uh, we went to the concert, obviously, uh, Nickelback, then Tragically Hip. Yeah. And then you have a few uh, drinks back at the camp. The next morning, we got to drive to Shonovan for the rodeo. And James was coming to work on this permit with me. And we got there, and it was a long, way longer drive than I anticipated. And I remember walking in the arena, and I said, James, this will be your rodeo next year because I'm never coming back. Yeah. And I never did. That was the last one. <laughs> that was the last one. Fucking done. Um, yeah. Done. Yeah. Done. Oh, that's good. Speaking of um, giving her and fucking partying pretty hard, did you see uh, Tom Brady after the... the oh, yeah. Who hasn't did? seen him? That's oh, gone viral. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah, that yeah. was fucking good. Everybody was thinking it was it'd be Gronk, and then all of a sudden, here comes Brady just fucking mangled. How about the all-time pass of the Lombardi trophy from oh, one boat to the other? Brady right? to Gronk. Yeah. I don't know why anybody's worried as if the Gronk was going to turn yeah, no off shit. it. The and ultimate even, no and, fucks and given. Yeah, and as if Brady's going to miss that pass. Come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good for them. Good for yeah. them. Florida's had uh, they had the Stanley Cup boat parade, and then uh, and now the 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 Bucks have theirs. Did their baseball team win the World Series too? No, they went to or, the finals. I think though they went to the final. Just yeah. about a triple crown. What yeah. a yeah, story cool. for that state. Because everybody wants to fucking go there and play. No tax. Fucking yeah. Beautiful place to live. No yeah. masks. Uh, no masks. No rules. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, speaking of getting shit faced and having a good time, we'll get into an ad read. Sneaky Weasel. Good deal. Let's hear it. If you're looking for a smooth, refreshing beer this weekend, grab yourself a Sneaky Weasel Craft Lager. This mildly hopped craft lager delivers a bold 5.6 ABV, but goes down crisp and clean. This beer pairs well with any bull riding celebration, fun in the sun, and good times with friends. This beer is available all across the Western Canada. Sneaky Weasel Lager, the official beer sponsor of the NFP podcast. Boom. Boom. Did it again. Chase Outlaw's back. He uh, had a video of him getting on a practice bull. He didn't go to Del Rio. Must be trying to make sure that that thing is... That shoulder's good after yep. five or six shoulder surgeries. He uh, told me that he was going to be back in Longview a couple weeks ago, which is not this weekend, but next weekend. Um, but, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. He ended up uh, top 10 in, in Texarkana last weekend at the Touring Pro. And we'll see if he's in Picos this weekend or if he does wait till Longview. But I think he's just trying to take that slow and make sure everything's good before he gets back to the highest level. But that's going to be cool to see that wild man back in action. Yeah, well, when, you know, you talk about, you know, those, there's maybe 10 or 12 guys that can ride the rank ones. He's one of them. So um, yeah, I right. think he'll be, he'll be welcomed back with open arms. Hey, Texarkana, what about our Canadian? Logan, Logan Beaver. Beaver, yeah. Sixth six place finish. Thanks, yeah. Casey. Keeps us updated. She sent the press release. That's good. Yep. Um, That's great. Yeah. We might have to check in with him and see what's going on see what he's been doing in between events. We'll have to, we'll have to reach out to him. Yeah. Where he's staying and what he's up to, how he's doing it, but it is fucking, it's so good to see because he's nine points away from uh, the top 30 
which if you get near that top 40 with injuries, with everything else that goes on at the highest level, if you're in that top 40, you have a pretty good chance of, of getting on, uh, you know, getting an event or two and, and getting that opportunity to, to ride with the best in the world and set yourself up great for the season. So it's been a sacrifice for, for Logan to go down there and do that. But look, it's fucking proofs in the pudding. It pays off. You fucking put yeah. in the time, you put in the effort, you go and, and yeah, it, it's, it's, scary as a young canadian guy you're on your own and in a different world and um you know all the different stuff that goes on with with riding and living in the u.s compared to to canada but when it pays off it feels fucking good so it's so good to see very proud of that that young guy and fucking you watch he's gonna roll and and set himself up great and that you know that just shoots your career it's it's crazy how you know a couple rides even you get to that level and and you stay on a few that confidence that you find in yourself that you didn't know was there sticks. And then you, yeah. you know, you're a bad motherfucker and you can take on anything that there is. So really good to see. I'm really, really proud of Logan Beaver for doing that. Well, yeah. And like you, cause you can't win here. There's no events. So um, I'm with you on that. I got a lot of respect for the young man for, for getting down there and, and entering up. Uh, Jordan Hansen made his debut last on Sunday as well. Last week, uh, San Antonio extreme bulls. I watched that. Um, but boy, he had, well, he, I think he should have stayed on. He should, he had a bull that would have just got him back in the top eight. If he'd have stayed on, um, yep. I don't know if he'd been on any practice bulls, but I think that's a bull Jordan wishes he had back for sure. Um, found the bulls really inconsistent. Uh, really? yeah, yeah. Sage, I think Sage was 86. Somebody was 87. I think that's what uh, won the long round, 87 and a half. But, you know, Stetson, my boy Stetson Wright, 79 and a half, you know, just not enough, like, you know, practice bull. Yeah, just practice bull. So that's unfortunate, especially when, you know, that that counts towards the world title. And you're, you know, that's why we always try to make sure our guys have a a fair chance to win. I remember at one point, yeah, Oh, this would be a few years back. I told the riders, if you don't make the championship round um, at one of my events, you get your fees back. Yep. And I think I only ever had to pay it out maybe three times, yep. you know, because we just get to that 10 or have nine guys and bring one back on time. Yep. But it's unfortunate when you do your job in a, in a sport that you pay your way to get to that you don't, you know, you still donate in those entry fees. Um yeah. Or you're putting that time to get in there and you're not, there's no return on your investment. That's a good point that you brought up that a lot of people maybe don't really fully understand that maybe aren't uh, as in tune with the bull riding or rodeo world. All these competitors are paying to fucking do this. So even at the high, the Unleash the Beast series, once you get to the top 30, you get a, oh, you know what? Actually, you used to get a show up check. I noticed this too. Now you don't get a, a show up check for, for being there. You used to get like a $400 um show up check at the at the unleash the beast events and i think they took that away now but uh at least you don't have to pay a fee i guess but at the touring pro events like um uh, yeah, even the velocity fee. events you're paying an entry fee so you're paying a couple hundred bucks in an entry fee to get on that to get on that bull same as at a rodeo you're paying an entry fee every time that you show up so you're paying your your own gas your own flights, your own feed, food, everything, you know, like you're in deep. So when you see these guys giving it all they have, there's a reason because they work their asses off all week so that they can go and spend that fucking money yeah. trying to ride a bull and it, move their way up in the world. 
I don't think you're any of our novice listeners are going to be scratching their head on that one. You mean they have to pay their own money to go tie their hand to one of those things? Yeah, that was exactly. Literally one of the reasons I chose you know, to fight bulls, to yeah. be a rodeo bull fighter. I remember Skip Kelleher. That's who I worked for uh, on my own for the very first time. Um, Saskatchewan guy was a real good friend of our families and produced rodeos for years and years. Your dad worked for Skip, you yeah. know? Yep. And uh, <laughs> I remember him telling me what his bullfighter at the time, Shane Earhart, made a weekend. And I'm like, really? And he gets to stay <laughs> at one place, right? <laughs> Sometimes you get a free hotel room. And like back then, I think it was 250, 250 bucks cash or performance of so 500 bucks. I'm like, shit, that's, that's my angle right there. Yeah. So that was, that was one of the, that's yeah. seriously, I remember that. I was just like, well, I guess if I'm going to do this for a living, that's probably the safest bet right there. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. yeah, it's different, man. It's, it's, um, you know, even talking to lots of, um, you know, different guys outside of the sport. That was one thing that, that really blew their mind was that, that it's still, you still pay to play, which the money goes into the prize money at, at the rodeos and portions of it, you know, and the bull riding, bull riding side of it. So, so you're just stealing your bull, your buddy's You're just money. fucking taking your buddy's money. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, they could have a game. Fun. They could have a game of poker beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody ante up their $400 show up checks and see who can walk away with the money. It's a little safer. Yeah. No shit. But yeah, no, it's good to see. And it's good back to Logan Beaver on, on that side of it too. And, you know, there's guys like, um, I talked to Jake Gardner last week and, and he's, he's working right now. Same thing. To, it is pay to play. So you have to have money. You have to have your, have your cash flow saved up because you can't just go down there broke. Um, so he's getting, he's getting a bunch of work in right now, getting cashed up and then he's heading down there and going hard at it. So I know there's going to be lots of guys like that that are, uh, working through these winter months right now and, and going to it. But it's just that, you know, that, that mindset that, that a lot of guys have that, that need to, they need to break of, of, you know, always just staying up here and, and this is the safest place. You know, it's, I've always said it for, you know, since I started, I'd rather be a small fish in a big pond than a big fish in a small pond. Yeah. Um, you know, there's guys that, you got, you guys got to take your goals to the next level, I think, and, and not think, think small. And I know Jake's feeling that way of, of going to the world finals. There was a, a Facebook post the other day of a Jake at the global cup. And it was, um, uh, I think it was Tanner Gerlitz put career defining moment for, for, uh, for Jake. And, you know, I was like, no, uh, Jake is going to do so much bigger things than than what he did there you know he, the, well, the world's his fucking oyster and as far as he wants to go is how far he wants to go you know yeah. you can't you can't think when we were talking with cooper that was what we were talking about how when he won the world title it opened all of our eyes up that it was like holy shit one of us actually can can do this do that. and he was he had yeah. the same mindset as all of us right we didn't actually think that was really attainable until you you get to those positions and your back's up against the wall and all of a sudden you come out on top you know, that gives everybody around you the confidence that they can do it too. So um, I think you see, you'll see these guys and, and, and Jake and, you know, there's Nick Tets and um, all these young guys up here in Canada that have all the talent in the world that, that are going to go, go down there and, and show what they got. And I'm really, really happy. And I got their fucking back. Cause I, you know, you, you gotta go, you gotta, you gotta give it everything you have at the end of the day, bull riding is going to be done. And all you're going to have left is, is what you did and those memories. And, and you're not going to want to look back and say, 
I should have. I should have fucking just yeah. at least tried it. Should have fucking yeah. went right. Because yeah. like, yeah. you know, there's no proof that you can't do it. Go and fucking do it. Well, and Jake is uh, the perfect example. When we started uh, putting the 3D bull riding team together, and who we were gonna, you know, who was marketable, and who's the young guns, and who's got that fire burning, you know. Well, you can attest to it. You know oh, how yeah. high I was on Jake Gardner. Yep. You know, and you and you mentioned another good name with Nick Tetz. There's a guy that that has so much talent. You know, Coy Robbins is, you know, was had such we had everybody had high expectations and obviously he had some injuries. So it's gonna be real interesting to see how he he comes back here in, in 2021 when we get it going. And you know another kid that uh, um and, and it'll be interesting to see what these guys decide to do with their careers, how they can manage PBR and, and Canadian rodeo, but it's Tannerino um, kind of blew onto the scene, you know, had some bulls that fit him, made some bull rides that, you know, opened some guys eyes up. Um, there's another kid. It'll be interesting yep. to see where he goes too. Yep. So yeah, I just wish we could go see him go. I just yep. want to see him go <laughs> somewhere <laughs> in Canada. Yeah, that's right. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, no fair wording to uh, to all young bull riders, and um, you know I've talked about it a few times, but the business side of things, you know, uh, it, it, you know that that money when you're done, <laughs> it's gonna be gone anyway. So you're gonna have to get a fucking job after you're done riding bulls as as much as you are. JV Mooney's gonna have to find some work, and he's the richest one there is. So take some pride in it. Go as hard as you fucking can, and and try to be the best that you can, because at the end of the day. When you're an old man sitting in your bed, you're going to look back and know that you gave it everything you fucking had. And that's really all that's going to matter. If you can look yourself in the mirror and know you gave it everything you had, at the end of the day, I feel like that's all that really matters. And I tried to live my career yep. like that. And, you know, there's times I wish that I would have done different things or, or picked the rankest bull in the pen and all that stuff, you know, instead of trying to play it safe because that's it, it's all there. At the end of the day, that's all you got left is is those memories and those times and um being a bad motherfucker and you know you uh, jb can attest to that when we, in his podcast right it was just he wanted to do it his way and, and he can live with that for the rest of his life knowing that he did it exactly the way he wanted to do it well and, and uh talk about two totally different personalities and both been guests on the pod um jb and cooper they're both going to do it their way, but different paths. Right. Yep, um, yep. And either of them will have any regrets when it's done. You can, you can, I can go and tell you our audience that right now, JB Mooney and Cooper Davis are going to retire someday with zero regrets. Mm -hmm. That's that how I see it. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Ah, that's good. Uh, our guest today is a pretty cool cat as well. That, that seen JB right from the, the start of his career and, um, you know, kind of came around when McBride and JW Hart and all those guys, when the PBR was, um, coming around, coming to fruition, really, um, mm -hmm. took it to the next level with his writing and his, um, whatever, everything that he was able to do, he was pretty cool. And that's uh, Keith Ryan Cartwright. Yeah. His storytelling. Um, I think I read on his website and I encourage everybody to go check out Keith Ryan go to his about and check out the people that he has interviewed over the years from former presidents to, you know, our friend Curtis Lecician, Justin McBride, uh, Aerosmith, Motley Crue, like you name it. Like it's, it's, uh, the list oh, is yeah. very, very impressive. It's, it's just everybody. the salt, yeah. salt of the earth, dude, man. Like, uh, I've had the pleasure of bullshitting with him on the phone and in person a number of times over the years. 
And there's always, you know, if it's not a Playboy Mansion story, it's it's traveling with poison. It's uh, uh, his relationship with the Steiner family, mm-hmm. uh, which I didn't know that until we we visited just prior to the podcast, which is very interesting. And he's like, "Yeah, you need Bobby Steiner, boys, on the podcast. You let me know, I'll get it set up." You know, yeah. like yeah. how cool would that be? You know, and we'll definitely take him up on that. But yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm going to roll it back to when Aaron Roy. Uh, got hurt real bad and broke his back there at Calgary Stampede. Keith phoned me within, well, days. I think I was still in Calgary when he reached out to me and and then they started doing all the auction stuff. And Keith was very, uh, very in tune with donating things. I remember I bought an autographed Yankees jersey. Like he cared about the guys. Like he said, this isn't about a bull rider being hurt. This is about a really good guy named Aaron Roy you know, hope, you know, he can recover and live a normal life. And, yep. you know, now we fast forwarded seven years later, he, he's actually broke a femur since then and, and still yeah. won and crossed the million dollars in earnings. Yeah. Right. Great guy all around. Right. And, and, uh, when I first came into the, to the built for tough series as he was right at the end of his career before Justin Falesco, for those of you that kind of follow the PBR. Now Keith was kind of the OG, uh, Falesco. So, uh, the writer and, and, um, you know, kept everybody up to date on what was going on in the PBR. So when I came in, he was, he was kind of near the, nearing the end of his time with the PBR, but I remember heading back to the, to the hotels and sitting in the lobby bars and I'd be, you know, smashing beers, me and Fozzie and Zayner always was a new story and, and he knew how much I was a rock and roll fanatic. And it was, he always had a different, oh, yeah. different rock and roll story of this band, yeah. or this guy, and it just blow my fucking mind every time. I, I, know. Like, I know. Pretty I know. cool. Hey, yeah. Okay. Um, we should get to that interview really quick, but I got to get your pick for this weekend. Uh, who do you think is going to take it? Picos, Texas. Um, I'm giving you fucking first pick, but you got. Yeah, I know you are. I appreciate that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with Cooper. He's on a oh, roll. Duh, you duh. know what? He wasn't real high on that bull he had in 15-15. He told us that. You know, last weekend. He was, yeah, bucked him yeah. off in two seconds, and then he, yeah. he talked about it. How he's got, he likes that because then you know all the other guys would be like, oh fuck, that thing. Yeah. Me last time, there's no way he doesn't fit my style. Yeah. He doesn't have any excuses. He fucking gets the job done, and that was proof right there. He told us on Wednesday uh, or and Thursday. And he did it on Friday. Yeah. yeah. No, you got to go with the hot hand. That isn't even a fair pick. Sorry, man. But I know. Yeah. That'd be right. Cause that, yeah, we all I, see I'm not, I'm not bullshitting. I, I, I want, if any of the young bull riders that are tuning into this, haven't heard the, the Cooper Davis broadcast uh, on the podcast, you got to go back and listen to it. The broadcast I'm a huge fan podcast. of the, the broadcast podcast. <laughs> oh, sure. It's broadcast. Look at Look We're broadcasting, We're broadcasting right, now. right now, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going Colton Fritzland on chiseled. Good I think pick. that's fucking salty too. So uh, that fifteen fifteen, we probably won't get to fucking watch it in Canada again because no. Doctor <laughs> Who's fucking magic healer will be on again the paid program. But hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get to see it. But I think Casey, Casey's working that event this weekend, so we're we're golden. She'll be. We just got to send results. her a text. Yeah, Perfect. Tell her Perfect. to let her two favorite Canadians know what's going on. Perfect. I do want to do a little preview for next week's show. We're going to do our, uh, we'll call it our first uh, hashtag bullfighting cowboy protection episode. we got Jesse Byrne coming on. 
Nice. Shit, yeah. Is Scott going to be on that one with us? Yeah, yeah. Scott's going to be back. Wow. So it'll be the four of us. Uh, and it'll be good because everybody's been uh, reaching out and wondering where the fuck Jesse's at. He hasn't been down to those events uh, with everything going on with the border and all this sort of stuff. So it'll be good to hear from him, see where he's at and what he's got going on. I'm, I'm looking forward to pick his brain. And as you know, Jason, he's got one of the wildest stories uh, of probably anyone we know. So it's going to be it'd be cool to, to hear from, from him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, both you boys, I've known you since you were, well, you were filling your diaper when I, that's how old you were when I knew you. So Still uh, am, fuck. I, Still I, am. <laughs> just, just some mornings, eh? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, looking forward to that one next week. So uh, right now uh, with that, we're going to throw it to our interview with the man, Keith Ryan Cartwright. It was a history for Black Cowboys. And there's a lot of stories that are very, that are untold or should be told. And the only way we can do that is by what I'm doing right now with Keith Ryan Cartwright. And I appreciate the opportunity and all the information that Keith has provided for me and for the Black Cowboys. Our guest today is a journalist, advocate for public education, libraries, and independent bookstores. He's interviewed a former president, two Nobel what is that? How do you say that? Laureates? Laureates. Fortune 500 executives, Grammy, Oscar, Emmy, Tony, and Pulitzer Prize winners, members of the Rock and Roll and Country Music Hall of Fame, Olympic athletes, and so much more. I met him as the original senior writer and editorial director of the PBR, our friend Keith Ryan Cartwright. Keith, how you doing today? I'm great. I just thank you guys for, uh, for having me. Thank you for helping me with laureates. Thank you for helping me with that. In your intro, you had to help me, but I appreciate that very much. You left out Pamela Anderson. Oh, dude, yeah. there's so many. We got, we're getting there. We're, I know, oh, but if you're going to throw president in there, how do you not say Pam Anderson? <laughs> That's fair. That's right. Fair. That's fair. Okay, Keith, I want to get to it. I want to get to, um, you know, we, we covered that you went to the PBR, but before you went to the PBR, I want to go back to your early years. Growing up in Wisconsin, eight years old, you get your first typewriter. It must have hit from there. How does, how does a guy like you from Wisconsin end up in L.A.? How did you get in this journalist world, and, and how did this all begin for you? Yeah, well, I, I started writing before I, um, before I moved to LA, actually my cousin, uh, he's four years older than me. He was, he was in a band. Um, Steve Rochelle. He was in tough. His yeah. name's Steve Rochelle. Yeah. And before that, even he was like, um, a semi pro skateboarder about, and he moved away to Florida. He was about to turn pro and, um, and right, right about then he, uh, decided to come back to Wisconsin and he, he started playing in bands. And so he started doing that. And I thought, if he can do that, I can certainly do something in music. Um, and I, I started uh, renting the, the VFW hall on a Friday night. Not every Friday night, but uh, three, four times a year, <clears throat> I would rent the VFW hall. And then I would put a show on with four bands. And so my headliner would um, come from chicago milwaukee or minneapolis and then i would get a i would get a second uh tier band from like green bay or somewhere like that and then in my hometown of oshkosh we had two big public high schools and then the two bands that play that opened up 
the show and they played for free would be one from each high school. So I would get free advertisement to the high school. Oh yeah. Good thing. And I, and so I never, and I, that meant I also never ever produced a show like that um, in the summertime. And I never had a show on a Saturday night because too much shit can happen between Friday at three 30 out on Friday <laughs> and then to start showing up on Saturday. Um, we get grounded any number to find something cooler to do. And so I wanted people to go home, change their clothes, say hi to their mom and dad and get out of there and get to the VFW hall. And so we would do them on Friday nights and it was only during school and um, we would do really well. And then I thought, man, I, I wonder if I could maybe even double my attendance if I got some publicity outside of the area, like throughout all of Northeast Wisconsin. And that's when I stumbled across the uh, weekly entertainment magazine and I just reached out to them and this was the day before caller ID and all that stuff. So I didn't really tell them who I was. Yeah. I just told them I wanted to write. And then they told me what it was gonna take. And I thought, whew, I, I've never written before and they wanna see a writing sample. So then one town away, there was a community college that had a newspaper. And so I contacted the newspaper at the community college. Um, I never told them I was a student, but they just assumed that I went to school there. And I was able to write four music articles before they realized you that I was not a student. <laughs> and the only well, you got, got and then you got what you needed, right? You had I got, your well, yeah, I got lucky. I had four shitty articles. <laughs> And I just eliminated the shittiest of the four and I sent in the other three and it was good enough to, uh, to get hired to write for night, night sights and sounds. And the first article I wrote about was a, a sh an article previewing my show only uh, nowhere. And I knew at that time, nowhere in the advertisement did it have my name. So no. I never told them, Hey, I'm previewing my own show, <laughs> but I previewed my own show. <laughs> Running the table. Yeah. You sound, like, so, you sound like the kid from Almost Famous. Just fucking. Yeah, kind of. Kind yeah. of. And then I did that for like a year. And I now I had some real clips and I was interviewing, um, you know, uh, Quiet Riot and Henry Lee Summer and um, uh, just a, a, a bunch of uh, a bunch of bands that were coming. Don Dockin. um so I started to do that. And then after a year, my cousin was now, he was in Los Angeles. His band had had a deal. They were, uh, they were on Atlantic. And uh, so I made plans to move to, uh, to Los Angeles. And I moved into the, you know, the band house, which was um, affectionately known as the, the Tough Muff Mansion. <laughs> now okay so you've you've probably watched the dirt on netflix right keith the what have you watched the dirt based off yeah. of the novel by okay yeah, yeah. so was your band house anything like tommy mick nicky's it was clean it was cleaner ours right? was cleaner ours was very um my mom and dad came to visit one time and and remarked how uh how clean it was but yeah so no no ours so I will tell you though it was a four-bedroom house 
and the, we emptied the tool shed in the backyard and turned it into a fifth bedroom. And when I moved in, I was the 13th guy. I moved in on September 5th, 1992. And um, that night, so, and this is really indicative of, like, I had never been on my own, own, you know? I had gone down to Florida for a little bit and lived, but when I got to Los Angeles, I didn't, I naively arrived not thinking I was alone. I mean, I was moving into my cousin's house, right? So I was gonna have him. And when I moved in, I was the 13th guy. So I thought I got, I have 12 immediate friends in this big city, but really you're on your own. So I landed and he was supposed to pick me up at the airport at like 10 o'clock, but it turned out um, he had work or something to do that day and told two other roommates, uh, one of which happened to have a car that day, (laughs) uh, go pick my cousin up at, at LAX man, this is 1992. There are no cell phones. I did not have enough quarters in my pocket to call the pay phone. But even if I would have, I would have called the number in my, because everyone had their own phone in a house like that. You didn't have a a joint phone, you know? Yeah. And so I was stuck at the airport, man. Nobody came to to get me. And I had an, I had an address on a piece now, in hindsight, our house is probably 40 miles from the airport. And I mean, it would have been a hellacious taxi bill. But I just thought, <laughs> I'm going to sit here and eventually they're going to remember that they forgot me. Yeah. And sure enough, about a uh, little before one o'clock, um, two guys. Um, all glammed out. I mean, <laughs> like ready to go <laughs> to the whiskey, ready to go to the rainbow and the whiskey. Uh, yeah. Well, they were coconut teaser people, but they, they were very much rainbow regulars. I mean, but the one had a foot tall pink Mohawk yeah. and uh, is purple Mohawk at that time, actually. And I mean, they were full glammed out and they looked pretty hung over. And I don't know, I wasn't a very aggressive person at that point. And I don't know why, but the first thing out of my mouth was, oh man, it's about time you guys got here. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> Just pissed them off right off the hop. Oh yeah. And the one guy <laughs> whose name is Jackie Suicide, he looked at me and the first thing out of his mouth was, bitch, you ought to be glad we even came and got you. Yeah. That's like rolling in the boat locker room and fucking just being yeah. overly confident. What's up, fellas? How is this? The fuck and up. We, they drove me to the house, and then I had no idea, but one of the roommates, uh, Billy, um, that day, it was a Saturday. It was his birthday, and so they were throwing a birthday party. Man, I tell you... Um, That's when you woke up to been, what goes on? There, the was, real- there must have been 100 people at the party. It was like two kegs in the backyard, booze everywhere. Uh, it, it was 75 people easy, maybe at one point pushing 100. It was the biggest party we had had at the house. None of them matched that after, after yeah. that. Um, and like, not Vince, but all the, uh, not Vince or Steve Stevens, but the other, the other three guys in the Vince Neil band, um, they were all at the party. Like, there's a bunch of rock and roll dude. Like, everybody was um, 
everybody was there. And it, I was just like dumbfounded. I thought, man, why did I, why did I wait? Why, why, why <laughs> right. haven't I been here? You know, and it was so crazy that on uh, Sunday, so the other guys in the house, so two picked me up. So they knew I was the new guy. Yep. My cousin knew I was the new guy. Right. But there's nine other guys in the house. And the next day, that evening on Sunday night, <clears throat> um, I couldn't, I didn't know who everyone was either. And I was starting to panic. Like some of these guys are going to start talking to me and I'm not sure how to keep all their names straight. Like it's crazy. You move into a house, you have so many roommates. Yeah, you know, I know. Yep. And they likewise, they weren't sure. Cause there was another guy in the house who it turns out wasn't one of the roommates, but he was the one that I befriended before anyone else. And his name was Weasel. And so Weasel was super, he was like super friendly to me and really inviting. And uh, come to find out he was being really cool to me because he thought if I befriend one of the guys in the house, I can just stay. Yeah. And so it wasn't until like Tuesday that three of the guys took the two of us and cornered us in the living room and said, which one of you actually moved into the house this weekend? <laughs> and I was like, what? Me? And they looked at the other guy and they're like, who the fuck who are you? <laughs> and they so what would, what would, what they would rent have been? They what made was rent movie. back then, do you think, Keith? You remember? My rent? Oh, yeah, I remember what we... exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was, uh, I only paid 150 bucks. I didn't even have a bedroom or a bed or anything. I, I was in the living room. There were about five of us that lived in the living room. And so my cousin said, um, I'll, I'll, I'll bill you a, a flat. It's five bucks a day, the same rate it would be to go to a hostel, like down in, in Venice mm -hmm. or something. So I paid five bucks a day to have a, a house and I didn't have a bedroom. I had the, what would have been the linen closet in the hallway. That was, that's like anything I had had to fit in the linen closet. And then we had three uh, couches in the living room. And I got lucky because um, one of the guys who was living in the house had to move back to Montreal. A bunch of the guys in the house are all from Canada. Huh. And one of them had to go oh, back. Cool to guys then. Yeah. Right. Cool guys. Obviously. There's, some of them are the ones I'm the closest to now. Oh, cool. <laughs> and one had to go back to Montreal. His dad got sick and he had to help with their family restaurant. And he's the one who ended up becoming, he moved back and he became a, a, a movie producer. And so he's the one who formed uh, One Race Productions with Vin Diesel. And they made all those Vin Diesel movies together. Holy uh, shit. He had, like, he had been living on Fast a, and Furious and stuff? Yeah, uh, he did the yeah. first Fast and Furious. Holy yeah. shit! So you moved down there. You're in that yeah. house for four. Is it in that four year period the Mickey Rourke story comes about? Oh, almost. Yeah, yeah. Like within a year, the Mickey Rourke story happens. So we were, um, <laughs> man. You're in your 20s. You're living in a house. You're uh, you're you're broke. And and so I came up. My cousin and I kind of came up with this scam, <clears throat> and what we would do is we'd get in his car and we would drive around the West end of the San Fernando Valley. And we'd be like, Oh man, that looks like a cool place to eat. I would call up and I would ask for the manager 
And then the manager would get on the phone and say, yeah, you know, this is, you know, Tanner, what, how can I help you? And I would say, hey, Tanner, uh, my name is, uh, my name is Keith. I'm uh, one of the assistants. I, I work with Mickey Rourke, uh, actor. You might've heard of him. <laughs> They'd be like, oh yeah. Well, a couple of days ago, Mr. Rourke was entertaining some business uh, guests and they happened to stop in your, uh, your establishment for lunch. And, you know, he's Mickey Rourke. He's not going to make a scene. They had an issue with the order. You know, I, I feel bad. We just, I just wanted to let you know that, you know, he's mentioned it again now, 48 hours later. So I just thought I would uh, call and they'd be like, man, we really don't want Mickey Rourke to be up, to be upset <laughs> with the service. We'd love him to come back. Um, is there any way we can make it up to him and maybe and have him come in and the meal would be on us? Well, they're going to know we're not Mickey Rourke, right? <laughs> so I would say, hey, listen, he's Mickey Rourke. He'll come back eventually. When he does come back, there's no way he's going to let you give him some coupons or some kind of free meal. Like, that's just not going to happen. But I tell you what, um, a couple of the guys who work for him, there's, a, there's this guy, Steven, um, him and him and his buddy have done, you know, some really, really nice work around, uh, around the, around the land, uh, th this past week. Um, what, what if you entertain them? And I'll tell Mickey about that. That'll go a long way. Mickey really would appreciate if you take care of his guys and they would say, Hey, no problem. What's his name? And I said, <laughs> even hand setter. And then we would, we, again, we would wait a little bit longer and then show up at the restaurant and be like, yeah, uh, Tanner said, uh, my name's Steven Hansetter. Tanner said I could come by where there's a, a, a meal gratis, I guess, something. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what's happening. And then they would, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to take care of you. Have a seat. And, and then it would be a, a free meal. And we, we did that. Man, there was one summer we might have done it five nights a week. <laughs> I mean and was it Mickey Rourke every time every time and here's why no one's never right. not recognized the name Mickey Rourke yeah but not everyone was going to remember what he looked like and this was in the era where his appearance was changing because he used to be a leading man you know mm -hmm. he was he was one of the guys you know and uh and now now you look at him and not so much so um, right. But this was well before his resurgence in the wrestler. Right. Yeah, where yeah. Now people know what he looks like again, you know? So this mm -hmm. was that window where you knew the name, but you might not have really known what he looked like. And, and so I, I, it was the perfect, it was the perfect name and how we came up with him is we, um, we eventually all got, um, well, three or four of us got jobs at a moving and storage company called load lock and roll. And Mickey Rourke had one of the big, he had the biggest storage vault that we had. And so like he had one of the first ever Schwinn bicycles produced like that Schwinn ever made. Oh. Um, he had that. And um, I remember, I remember we had to open up his vault one day and that bicycle was in there. And I took a bike ride around Hollywood. <laughs> uh, the first twin bicycles ever 
ever made and it was it was mickey's in this time all these crazy times we'll fast forward a little bit but you you're you're managing or you're running your your cousin's band right in case you have to go on the road uh how does that lead to freaking touring with poison well my so i toured that whole time i lived in la whenever my cousin's band would go on tour i was their tour manager i handled merchandise um no sooner did i make plans to move to la they were on atlantic records on mtv all this shit but no sooner did i make plans to move they got dropped and atlantic no longer wanted to worry about you know skid row and this new band um tough they were now focused on um stone temple pilots and so there was this whole change kind of uh kind of coming and so the nirvana grunge change was that yeah yeah to the guard Uh, yeah and so the poison tour we're really jumping way ahead but what how how we get there is so my cousin's band breaks up and then he does a a solo project for a while and then he kind of uh was doing some other odds and ends. And then um, he discovered uh, this cool band, Veins of Jenna from Sweden. And uh, they came they came over to Los Angeles and he met him at the Whiskey. And, and uh, he really liked them. He watched their show. They were kind of rough around the edges. They were young. At that time, I think they were probably, they might've even been, 18 18 19 and 20 oh yeah and but they were heading home to to sweden and my cousin met him the next day and uh before they went home he took him over to gilby clark's house um who was the guitar player that replaced izzy stradlin in guns and roses yeah oh yeah and so they went to gilby's and they recorded like four or five songs and then my cousin made a deal to manage Veins of Jenna. And eventually they got their visas and they came back to, to, uh, to live in L.A. to be a band. And they went on a couple tours. And then my cousin worked his magic and he got them opening up on the, uh, on the Poison Tour. And how that came about was um, Bam Margera, who was first famous for Jackass, Jackass. but then he said Viva La Band. Yeah. on uh, VH1. And so Bam loves Scandinavian bands. And so he literally was um, driving like a Lamborghini down Sunset Boulevard and he saw these four kids that were all just decked out looking like they were, they looked like Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. Yeah. That's how they, like, that's how they dress. Not full glam. They were sort of street, um, they were kind of sleazy you know and they're walking down the four of them are walking down sunset boulevard and he flipped the u-turn right there on the street and uh went and talked to him and then he met up with them at some show at the house of blues and bam said i have a i have my own record label i want to sign you guys and put your record out so my cousin ends up working out a deal with with bam and names of jenna gets on bam's label and then Poison agrees to have Veins of Jenna come out and be the opening band. So it's Veins of Jenna, Rat, and Poison. Yeah. And the caveat was 
Poison wanted Bam to come to at least four shows on the tour. And when he came, he would come out on stage and introduce Poison. And their thought was he's young and hip and cool and cool kids like Bam. If we shoot a bunch of photos and video clips of Bam introducing us, that in and of itself constitutes this cool guy thinks we're cool. Even though Bam didn't like, he just knew getting in front of all those tens of thousands of people every night was going to favor his, his band. And so um, I had been writing and producing television shows. And then um, one thing led to another, I wasn't working on a show and the summer was coming and I wasn't going to have a show that summer of 2007. And so uh, I was talking, talking to my cousin and I said, I guess I should just go on the poison tour. And and he was like, wait, you, you go? Because I, I didn't I didn't think he would want to do that anymore with like with those guys, you know. And I said, well, I'm not doing anything else. And and it'll put some scratch in my pocket. So I uh, I spent the, the that summer looking after Veins of Jenna on the on the poison tour. Fuck, that's nice. Right on. So Let's what what, what happened with uh with uh brett michaels and bam margera you have a story yeah yeah so um jason might know this or have heard this um so the four guys in poison at this point and still to this day they don't talk like they don't really they're not friends they don't hang out and so when we would get to the venue the the, uh, the semis and the tour buses, they were all parked and configured so that the four members of Poison could go on and off their bus and in and out of the venue to where their dressing rooms were separated from one another. No they shit. never had to see each other. So they on and off, they would never see one another till they got on stage. Yeah. So the first time that uh, Bam comes to a show is Reading, Pennsylvania. And Bam isn't a planner and he's not a guy with a lot of details. So all I get on my cell phone is a text message from Bam's Bam's day-to-day manager saying, Bam's on the way, make sure he gets in. Is he on the way right now? When is he arriving? Is he by himself? Is he hailed out? (laughs) Not even noon. Is he coming later? Is there, are there more than one car? Is he bringing that whole crazy crew from the house? Like how many people? And I text back asking and no response. It's just make sure he gets in and he needs to be able to park by the buses. (laughs) Well, Brett might be the face of poison, but Bobby Dahl, the bass player is the, like, He's the businessman. He's the main yeah. guy. And oh, really? The one that I, I did not know that. Yeah, no. he's the one that I'm reporting to. He's the one who arranged for the band to be on the tour. <clears throat> but right before I got that text, Bobby's a very, like, he's very regimented. So he gets up at the same time every day, and he leaves with the runner at the venue at the same time every day to go to Starbucks and have, and he sits there and he has the coffee there and he doesn't want to be bothered. He comes back. Well, he leaves. And in the time that he leaves to go to Starbucks and I now cannot get a hold of him, 
is when I get the text message and I need to make sure BAM gets in. And my past and me, I don't have the clout to go tell security, hey, let that, let that guy in, even if they recognize him. You know, I don't, I don't, I can't give them that. Yeah. I, have to, I have to get that pass from Poison. But I know I need to get it from Bobby, but he's gone. And he won't answer the phone. I'm texting him every which way I, to get a hold of him. I couldn't get a hold of him. So I had no choice but to go to this woman who handles all the passes and say, hey, I need a, I need a parking pass. Um, one of our guys from the label is coming in. And she wanted to know who, because everyone knew, man, this this shitty band from uh, Sweden's been on the road for a couple of weeks and there's been no band Margera and they know he lives nearby. So she realizes it's Bam. Well, not only do the poison guys not talk, Brett and Bobby are the two big ones. They're the two that really butt heads. And so the whole crew is divided in half. You're a Bobby guy or you're a Brett guy. Oh, shit. And the woman who handled the passes was a Brett guy. And so I didn't want to like out and out give her, tell her anything because I knew she would just turn around and tell Brett. So there's like, dude, it's like total anxiety. (laughs) Every day it's something like this. So I got to get this pass and she plays it off like, oh, trust me, you're in the opening band. There's nothing you know that's going to go on here that we don't already know before you. I know Bam's coming. It's all taken care of. Don't, and she, so rather than even give me the pass, she plays it off like, don't worry. And so they radio to the security guy to let him in. Well, sure enough, Bam in his Lamborghini comes ripping in right ahead of, right ahead of the, the SUV that has Bobby Dahl. And so as soon as it parks, Brett comes off his bus and he's now talking to Bam. And Brett has Bam go up on his bus as Bobby is getting out of the SUV and he points to me and said, come with me. And it was, I mean, he was mean in business. Like, and we're going down this hall and I felt like, you know, when, uh, you know, when you're at like maybe the neighbor's house and your kid acts up, so you got, you're going to, you're going to walk them home. And you know how you're a, you got grown, you're a grown man. You're walking fast and the little kids like hustling to keep up and and the whole way they're, they're trying to say like, but dad, but dad, (laughs) other guy, but dad, like it, that's what it felt like all the way down this, this hallway. And I turn around and I look and I said, Oh my God, his production office is nowhere near anyone. Like he's going to murder me. Yeah. And no one is going to hear it. Happen. <laughs> I was going to know. <laughs> and so we get, as soon as we get into the dressing room, he turned around, man. And in one move, he had his hand around my throat with his thumb right here, pushed uh, up against my Adam's apple. And he had me up against the wall and pushing upward. And so the only thing keeping me from hanging is my tippy toes are on the concrete. They could still <laughs> touch. <laughs> Barely. We pushing my Adam's apple in and he's got a pen in his hand. He's holding a pen. Yeah. And I'll yeah. never, ever forget when he said, don't you ever take information out of, out of my hands like that again. Don't ever do it. I've been going round and round with people all morning about how to handle Bam when he got here. And then you went and let 
that bald fucker know that's Brett that that family's <laughs> coming and now instead of me handling everything he's on that guy's bus and then oh. he held the pen he held the pen up to my up to my face and he he's said, gonna Joe Pesci yeah if you ever do that to me again I'm gonna stab your fucking eyeballs out so you know talking about being in the production office and you know a little bit scared for your life I'm going to shift to your PBR days. Um, a few of our guests, we always seem to circle around to Cody Lambert and uh, the way Cody likes to intimidate and, you know, maneuver around the locker, yeah. not the locker room, but the hallways a bit and in the arena. Uh, tell us about the first time you interviewed Cody Lambert. Yeah, well, I won't ever forget it. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was July third, two thousand. He's got the date. <laughs> oh, I got. Oh, I remember because I had started at the PBR in in January, and one thing leads to another. I had been told by a couple of people in the office, like, "Man, be careful about 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 getting in and around Cody. He's." He's very surly. You really don't have a rodeo background or any of this, blah, blah, blah. Um, you don't want him, you don't want a target on your back. Just get yourself established. Well, by the time I got to July, I knew I, I had a conversation with the guy who hired me and was the editor at the time, Jeff Johnstone. And I said, Jeff, um, today's the day. And he goes, today's the day. What? I said, today's the day I'm going to interview Cody Lambert. And he said, you are, you set up an interview. I said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to call him. I, I, and I was around long enough at that point. I said, okay, the guy knows that I'm writing stories. And I said, he has to think one of two things about me. And, and Jeff goes, what's that? And I said, he knows that I know enough that he's the bull guy and I should be getting quotes about these bulls from him and that I need to do bull stories yeah and I said so in his mind I either a have to be too stupid to know that I should interview him which I don't want him to think or he thinks I'm too much of a pussy to ask him a question yeah <laughs> I don't want him to think that either so I said I'm gonna gain his respect I'm gonna call him up I'm gonna interview him and so a bunch of people are like, oh, man, we want to be there when you do it. And they're, re they're all trying to intimidate me and get me nervous. Yeah. But uh, his uh, nephew pulls me off to the side and said, I'm going to give you one real piece of advice. He's not going to recognize your number. No way he answers. So just leave a, don't, just leave a good message. Don't, don't, don't come off. Just don't come off like a wiener. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, all right. I'm like, all right. So I think about it for a while. And I go to lunch. You're thinking about the message you got to leave. That's all yeah. you got to. Yeah. I'm thinking yeah. about the message. I go to lunch. I, I'm not, I don't have it scripted out, but I, I got it in my, I know what I'm going to say. So I'm ready to leave a message. Phone's ringing. It's ringing. It's ringing. I'm thinking, man. Does this guy got a voicemail? When's the voicemail going to come on? And then you start thinking to yourself, man, it just keeps ringing. If he doesn't have a voicemail and he's, and he's like just 
sitting there not picking it up. Is he going to get pissed at like when this guy? (laughs) Yeah, no shit. So finally, I tell myself, I'm going to let it ring two more times and then I'm hanging out. And it rings once. And now it's, it's ringing the second time. And I'm telling myself, when the ring stops, I'm hanging out. Because I'm trying to prolong thinking he's going to, sure enough, right as that, right as that ring is ending, I hear a fairly surly, gruff, grumpy, hello. It wasn't a very inviting hello. Yeah, yeah. And not only was was that intimidating, but the fact that he now answered and the only thing I had prepared was my message and I (laughs) put my message wasn't going to translate and and so out of my mouth comes cody yep and then i'm pausing and i said cody lambert he goes well (laughs) if you're dialing cody lambert's number and you say is this cody and i say yes what other fucking cody could it be (laughs) that's gold (laughs) <laughs> and now, now I'm, but I'm just calling for time. Like, how do I? So, I, and I'm thinking, I've got to introduce myself properly and tell them what I want. So, I'm, I'm, I'm blowing through all this, and I know it's got to sound bad. And in the, in all that, I say, I, you know, I got a story I'm working on. I want to ask you a couple questions. And so, when I finally stop talking, he says, "Yeah." I'm like, uh, yeah. What he goes. Well, you said you were calling with two questions. Give me the question. Your fucking question. So (laughs) I throw out my question and I can tell as I'm saying it that it didn't come out right. I've screwed it up. And there's when I get to the end of it, I'm thinking, oh, I screwed it up. I screwed it up. And I realize it's dead air. It's silent. There's nothing. And I wonder, did I? get disconnected did he hang up did he hang up on me yeah <laughs> so I, I said cody he goes yeah oh um maybe we have a bad connection did you i um i can i can i can tell you my question again he goes no 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 i i heard it okay. <laughs> and there's more silence and i said and and he goes and what's your next question and i said oh you want both questions and then you'll answer that is, i i just however you like it and he goes, no, the first question was pretty fucking stupid. And I'm hoping this one's worth answering. <laughs> oh, no. And, yeah. and so now I take a deep breath. And finally, I say, hey, man, a bunch of people got me all, all jacked up that, uh, uh, that you weren't going to be an easy interview. I, got my, I made myself nervous about something stupid talking to somebody like what you've on. done how, how many times how many yeah. times before cody lambert have you interviewed somebody you know like oh, <laughs> i've written like ten thousand articles by that point. <laughs> right yeah and so i basically call it out on the carpet and call myself i said and so i don't know why but uh, you know i let i let myself get rattled and i said yeah the first question what i meant to say was and then i restated it and he goes now that now that's a question worth my answer and then the next thing i know we talked for an hour on the phone and uh little by little maybe not that day but little little by little in pretty short order um he became like an uncle to me and so much so that less than a year later 
uh, the Friday after Memorial Weekend um, in 2009, and Memorial Weekend for you Canadians is uh, the the end of May. Mm. <laughs> no, I knew that. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that Friday, my stepdad didn't have a stroke, but it was very similar to a stroke, and then they discovered a, a brain tumor. And but from that very day when Cody found out about it, from that day until my stepdad died on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, I was either with Cody at an event and he would ask me or he would text me or he would call me on the phone. And his question would always be he had, he had a two questions. He would say, any news with your dad? So he didn't want to say, how is your dad? Is, are, is any news? Yeah. So you could yeah. just get away with nothing new. You know, you didn't have to mm. go into it. Yeah, go yeah. into it. Um, and then he would say, but more importantly, have you talked to your mom? Oh, yeah. And yeah. then yeah. remind me, your mom needs you right now. And um, and so for him to have for him to have done that, him and him and Ty both during that window of time, um, I'm I'm indebted to them forever. Yeah, that's awesome. So well, you're you 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 a fixture, Keith. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have to, you know, a lot of, you know, the PBR has grown leaps and bounds in 28 years. It really has. And, um, you know, you're one of the architects with that, with what you did. And I, I firmly believe that. I have always enjoyed our relationship, always enjoyed, you know, what you wrote and you made the sport better. Um, and when you tell a story like that, it just cements what I'm what I'm saying because you got the you know two of the hardest asses going and Ty and Cody, you know, and you know yeah. you had to, you had to deal with it. Coming over to the PBR, you wrote the book, uh, the official guide to the toughest sport on dirt, correct? Yeah. yeah. So, as Jason said, very influential in all the sport. There wasn't any of that stuff going on writing and that sort of job you came in kind of changed it all made it go more mainstream really and and had way more articles and interviews and and helped them get off the off the ground in that sense but what was what's the memory that you have of your pbr days that stands out um above the others whether it's a person um an incident a ride or or what's something that that stands out for you now looking back that you're not with the pbr um that you'll always remember Uh, I don't, you know, watching Galermi win the world title after three years of being in second place and the true raw emotion, um, you know, watching Chris Shivers, um, retire. Oh yeah. This is some, I mean, and he acts like he is a tough guy, not acts. He's, I mean, this is a tough it's a tough dude. I mean, um, they're, it's pretty notorious what a tough guy he is. A- absolutely. Um, but he always tried to make that, carry that over that he was this tough guy emotionally. <clears throat> and so um, to see that he actually had an emotion, to walk, to see that he could cry. Yeah. Chris Shivers can cry. You know, the... Um, getting the call that, that Kent Cox was dead. Um, 
I was at a movie theater um, when I got the call about Ty. Yep. I mean, those are, I, I, I mean, I remember I was at a movie theater, man. I'm in the, I'm in the lobby, just sitting on one of those padded benches, leaning up against the wall, um, you know, um, and, and you break down and cry and yeah. no one can figure out why what's going you know? on or why, yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's, there are, there are, there are those things, you know, I remember watching, um, watching, uh, Paulo Krimber, uh, break his neck for the second time on the second consecutive bull, you know, he broke his neck, recovered and 90, whatever days later, he was riding again and broke his neck on the first bull back. And on that, I didn't see the first one. I saw the second one and, and knowing like right then, I mean, I just remember saying out loud, like, wow, Fuck. Like, yeah. his career's over. His yeah. career's over. Yeah. And I remember somebody telling me, you can't say that. You don't know that. He's a bull rider. And I thought, no, no, this is, and, and it turned out not to be yeah. for a while, you know? Yeah. Um, but I remember that moment. Like I, I remember that because that was 2008. And for me, that was um, like, that was the moment I realized for me, we talk about it being the toughest sport, but it's not a saying, it's not a slogan. It's, and it is. And, um, and so when you, when you see that, or when you see uh, McKinnon Wimberly in Anaheim, just, Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, man, that, 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 it's a reminder that it's for real. You know, you, you guys can say what you will about me. And, and I have my own thoughts of what, what I may have been able to bring to the PBR, but ultimately at the end of the day, whether you're Randy Bernard or, or, or Jim Hayworth. And I think both of those guys, you know, there's been four CEOs. Um, I think all four of them really deep down understand. And, and I hope, all the people who work in the office would understand we don't do what we do if it's not for a bull rider. Oh yeah. I mean, and the contractors can raise all the bulls they want and they're, they, they are some kick-ass bulls out there, but they don't get to do what there's no reason to do what they do at the end of the day. It's, it's, it's all about bull riders. Yep. Yeah. We they're talked the, about that with Cooper. The most important part of the puzzle. We talked about yeah. that with Cooper on the last podcast is that, yeah, you, you're not going to, especially in today's day and age with how hard all these, these bulls buck, even the guys in the top 35, there's probably 10 of them that can stay on these bulls day in and day out with you can't just go down the road and find a new Cooper Davis or a new Jess Lockwood. They're mm-hmm. the, the whole backbone of the sport. I, I will admit. I made a mistake once. And luckily, my mistake, it, it, only one person heard it and he pushed me against the wall. I'm uh, so Reese Cates and I are, were buddies. Like yeah. his rookie year was 2008 when I got there and, and I helped ghostwrite it. It was his, they were, it was his word. Like he had a blog that year documenting his rookie season. And basically, what it is is once a week, I would have a, a phone conversation with him. We'd talk about a topic. And then I would have, I would just let him riff on that topic yeah. and I would transcribe it. And then we'd 
that would get posted as a as a blog we're close like i i i really we really really admire one another but we were having a conversation and different names were coming up and 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 i'll be uh i mean it is what it is the, the name that i referenced was bart miller somehow i can't remember why but the the bart miller's name came up and 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 i scoffed and said man from what i can tell guy can't even stay on a stick horse yeah and and wrong uh, wrong geez. thing to say he put oh man that, that like he got he pushed me up against a wall and he just had a look in his face he wasn't mean i wasn't afraid but i knew like he was just like you can't say that you can never say that yeah and and i that was a big it was an important lesson to learn not that i needed to learn a lot but like even the even the guy way down what at like it doesn't like it it just it reaffirmed in that in that moment yeah it's about bull riders and you can't say that about any of them because every bull rider that nods that's willing to nod his head and can get into pbr and is good enough to get there we need every one of you in order yeah. to have sport and yep. so without bart miller or cooper davis yeah i don't have anything to write about yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, in 2014 was my rookie year and you were there, but you were on your way out. Did you bring in like, so for everybody that, that maybe isn't familiar, um, with your work KRC, Justin Falesco now who works for the PBR kind of did kind of does what you did at that time. And were you influential in bringing him in or were you wanting out or were no, no, no. I'm not leaving at this point. I'm not okay. going anywhere. Yeah. And so we end up, uh, we look at Felisco's um, resume and it was by a mile as it was better than everybody else's. Okay. Like I looked at his resume and I said, his resume is to hockey and college sports. What mine was to music before coming to the PBR. Like I looked at it and there was a part of me that thought, man, what, what if he comes in and, and like, I'm magic Johnson and he's Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan taking my shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? what yeah. If, I'm not saying I am magic Johnson or Michael, <laughs> but, but yeah. to make that comparison. Like what yeah. if, Yeah. what if, what if I'm what if I'm Justin McBride and he's JB Mooney? Yeah, or yeah, yeah. now I'm JB Mooney all broke down and old and and all huffy and gruffy and and he's Jess Lockwood. <laughs> you yeah, know? You like that's in my mind, I never said to anybody, I'm you know, I was a little I was a little nervous. He was really impressive. Yeah. And when we got to the end of the conversation. I, I asked a question and I know it's a question you're not supposed to ask in an interview, but I got to be honest. I don't understand why you're not supposed to ask it. I, I said to him, I said, Hey man, before we hang up, I, I want to ask, I can't tell. I, I mean, I kind of have an idea from a resume, but I don't know for sure. I said, how, how old are you? And I could tell he was really taken aback by it because again, Maybe I would understand why you're not supposed to be asked that if someone were to ask me, how old are you? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, but I asked him how old he was, and I want to say he, I want to say he said twenty-two. He might have yeah, only probably. been twenty-one. Twenty-one. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, 22. he was just he was uh, he was yeah. young. He was yeah. he was young, and so kind of he's kind of hedging as he says his age, and and I gave him a compliment. I said, "Hey, man, no matter what happens, I just want you to know you're going to have a great career." Yeah. And then I said, we'll talk later. And I hung up and then I called Dave and Dave goes, what do you think? And I said, well, just so you don't get all upset with me, he's the guy to hire. I'm telling you now. Yes. He's the guy you call, you should, you should hire him and, and I'll make plans to come to Pueblo and we'll spend a couple of days together, blah, blah, blah. He's the guy to hire. And I, but, and I said, but I do want to point out if this comes to play, I'm going to tell you right now. There's nothing in his resume and there's nothing from the conversation I had with him that says he wants to be an editor. He wants to be me, not me, Yeah. but your he, job, wants, yeah. he wants that kind of thing. Yeah. He, and, he, and he doesn't. And I, and I said, and he wants to do it for hockey, much like I wanted to do it for major league baseball. Yeah. Um, I said, he's a writer. He's a numbers guy. He's a go to the game. Like, he doesn't, he's not, he's going to take this job and it is going to suck having to edit someone else's work. Yeah, yeah. He's going to hate it. He's going to yeah. grow to, to hate it. And um, sure enough, not then, but, you know, in the enough years have gone by and we're friends and we talk and, and yeah, that was, he was man he was eager he was a hustler and you could tell from the moment he got he got behind the wheel man he was it was pedal to the metal he was well you can even see that with him behind the mic on the ride pass like he just can't wait to get that to get talking and like you said he's a numbers guy he knows what's going on like analytics like he he would be great in hockey um anybody that follows you on social or facebook knows uh what you've been doing your latest project uh black cowboys of uh, rodeo the unsung heroes from harlem to hollywood and the american west um kind of interesting how you met murtis dykeman i they're you know one of the greatest cowboys in the world really yeah. bridged bridged that relationship for you eh? yeah ty murray you know is the one who told me about him and introduced me to him and and so i um I met Murtis about that's over 10 years, a little over 10 years ago now. And I remember the first time I met him and had a conversation. uh, I left the conversation saying to myself, I'm going to write a biography about that guy. And it, but it took me five, six years to build up the confidence to, to realize that as much as I want to go along, as much as I like writing, you know, going digging really deep into somebody um, to really sit down and say, you're writing a book, a book. Yeah. A full book. Yeah. Um, I I had to, it took a little bit, it took a little bit to get the confidence that I could do it. And in that time I was having conversations with him and I went and spent a couple of days with um, Larry Mahan talking about his relationship with, with Murtis. And, but every time I would talk to Murtis, he would say, 
Oh, have you, uh, have you spoke to Bailey's Prairie kid? And I said, no, I don't even know who that is, but I love that name. I should talk to him. What about my buddy cash? I said, cash, who's cash. He goes, Oh, he was my business partner. We were the first, we were the first two African-Americans to own a a dance hall in, in, in Houston. Um, and so then I, I was like, Ooh, I better, I better talk to Harold cash. And then one thing led to another and you just, before you know it, you spend um, over two years from coast to coast interviewing black cowboys. And that's when I knew if I'm only going to have an opportunity to write one book about black cowboys, it might be more. But if I only have one and I only write about murders, then the rest of the world, if they come across that book, might think he's the anomaly. Yeah. When in fact, there are a whole bunch so of many. incredible people um, you know, your dad traveled and worked with, you know, uh, Dwayne Hargo Sr., yep. a black bullfighter uh, from San Bernardino, California. And um, and so the, these stories like, you know, we know that Charlie Sampson comes from Watts, but you think he's the only one. And then I I go there and I find out there's a, at least at least. 70 years of history of black cowboys from los angeles yeah and it, it's a hundred maybe over a thousand of them by now and then you know new york city and new jersey and connecticut and massachusetts there was a there was a whole uh there, there was just a, a whole subculture of black cowboys on the on the east coast from the 50s all, all, all the way through the eighties into the nineties. Yeah. When is this book? When's it, when's it come out or is it finished or where are you at with it? It finished. Um, the, my, I wrote it, it, uh, it's, it's finished. And, uh, Danny Glover, the actor, he wrote the yeah. foreword for it. Yeah. And, um, pre pre-sales begin in May and then the book will be available wherever books are sold to actually put in your hand and start reading. Um, November 1st, which will be in time for the PBR World Finals, the NFR, Christmas. Nice. All these people who thought I was a Johnny come lately in 2008 when I showed up in January, you're wrong. I've been around, I've been around rodeo. As much as everyone thinks I'm a bull riding guy, I was around rodeo beginning in um, oh, 2001, 2002, when I damn near lived with the Steiner family. I want to get that out there. Yeah. Well, never really talked about that anywhere. Yeah, share that one. We're going to because Keith, I think we're going to take you up on your Bobby Steiner on the show here on the NFP podcast. And I would love to help get him on here with you um, for a hundred percent. Like, uh, uh, I call him. I mean, he's he's a he's a he's a he's a mentor. He just um. He's everything, you know, I told you last week, I said, there's times, I mean, I, I call him when I have a purpose. Um, but when I, I also, when I get him on the phone, I just, I know that, I know that you're going to hang up feeling good about yourself. You're going to feel as good about yourself as you've ever, ever felt. I've never met such a, such a positive, um, positive person and just, a family that, um, well, I mean, there's a reason why their ranch is excess and, um, it's just, it's, it's, it's to the top. It's the best. It's, they don't, they don't, they don't settle. 
You know, um, yeah. there's a movie producer named Brian Grazer who, who I once heard say, um, if you ever hear someone say it's good enough, it's good enough is code for pretty shitty. Yeah. <laughs> it's never just good enough for the Steiners. It, it's always, what does it take to, to be the, to be the best? How did well, you get you intertwined with that. them? How did you get intertwined with that family? This, so, is, uh, this is a good story. Yeah, this we need is this. a great story. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I had to ask this because he was Keith. Excuse me here, Keith. We were bullshitting last week on the phone when I called him to see if he wanted to get on. And an hour and 15 minutes later, after I, <laughs> you know, pretty much did the podcast with him just between him and I, uh, he brought up in one of the stories was about Sid. And I'm like, OK, well, whoa, 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 whoa. like how tell me how this happened and how Sid Steiner was with you at a PBR. Like it just. Yeah. Let's get in only there. Keith, only only yeah. KRC could I, come up with this one. It's a classic. classic did, man. We, we went to four PBRs together. But no, so what happened is all the way back in 2001, you guys all know, obviously, Ma in well, right now, you guys know Rocker. Everyone's watching Rocker on, yep. on, on yeah. social media, Instagram, yeah. wherever. Yeah. And before that, it was, you know, Sid, when he was winning his world title and the, the cornrows and the fancy, the oh, fancy shirts yeah. and all that. Right, um, and so the other, the, Bobby has two sons. He, Sid is the younger one. And then a couple of years older than him is Tommy Shane. And Tommy Shane was signed to um, RCA Nashville <clears throat> and had just recorded his uh, debut album. And I got a call from RCA Nashville and I was still living in LA. And they said, man, we got this new artist and it's a country record. And it's kind of, it, it's, it's a little cross between some traditional stuff in there. He's got a Randy Travis duet, but, but it's, it'll fit in that Kenny Chesney, Keith Urban vein as well. Yep. Um, but whenever we talk to him, like he's never listening to country music. His two favorite bands are Metallica and Eminem. And so of all the writers we know who cover country music, you're the only guy like that's all rock and roll, you know? And I had long hair at that time and everything. And, and so they said, we think you would be the perfect guy because he also wants to do the interview for his publicity bio. Um, in LA at the rainbow. And so you guys are always talking about the rainbow and Tommy Shane, you know, had seen the rain. I, 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 everyone obviously saw it in the guns and roses video, uh, November rain. Yeah. And so I agreed to write the bio and um, they said him and his manager are going to fly to LA and, you know, on Friday night, meet him at the rainbow at, at seven o'clock. And by the way, this is, a, this, this doesn't, the, the publicist, didn't know really what it meant. And they said, you'll, Tommy and his manager said, you'll know what they mean, but is there any way you can get them to where you guys can sit in the Guns N' Roses booth? And I was like, well, there's not a Guns N' Roses booth. But then I realized they want to sit in the booth that they were sitting in during the video. Yeah. So I call ahead and they're not, they don't really take that reservations like that. Unless of course a guns and roses guy were to call or whatever, but you know, one thing leads to another. And, and, um, and I said, you know what, I'll just go early. 
So I go there knowing because uh, this isn't this isn't a place where people show up. Like there's an afternoon crowd, but like you don't go out at night and then hang out in the dining room be- before the sun goes down. You know, yeah. <laughs> not rock and roll. So I go there before the sun goes down, and I say, "Hey, I'm going to be joined by a large party. I need that table." And since that's first come, first serve, they give me the table. I say, now it's going to be a couple hours. Now, and I also know there's only two people coming, not enough for this whole table to be filled. But anyway, Tommy and his manager show up and I do the interview. And then um, we got along, man. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to put like it was, you know, some people ask, how in the world did you and Ty Murray become buddies? Like, what is it about you? Because no. when you think of Ty Murray, the king of the Cowboys, man, you don't you don't think about a a guy who was excited that I have a a picture of me typing on my typewriter for the first time as an eight year old. Like the first yeah. time I ever sat at a typewriter, I have that picture. I have the picture <laughs> of me up Christmas morning as yeah. a picture of me sitting at it and typing for the first time like that guy is going to be the king of the cowboys good friend yeah. just doesn't you know and the same would probably hold true with um with me and like the Steiners but for whatever reason Tommy and his manager and myself we uh we got along we got on we got along man I don't know how I don't I don't know what it was I really i I don't know, but we we um, we got along and we had a great time. And then a few months later, um, the record was out. And right before it was coming out, Tommy Shane calls me and we're talking. And he said, "I'm <clears throat> I'm gonna go on a I'm gonna go on a radio tour." He said, it, it, "I got I'm gonna go out on a bus, and it's just gonna be me and my manager, and we're gonna drive from city to city every day, visiting radio stations. And I gotta take." I got to be at one for the morning and go to another one and take them out to lunch and go on the afternoon show and then drive all night to another city and visit more radio stations. And you're just in a different town every day. No shows, no, none of that. You're just, you're just visiting radio stations and going to bars at night. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so Tommy said, this does not sound like fun. I got to, I need more than just um, Adrian and I on the bus. Why don't we, why don't you come out? And I said, man, I'm a freelance writer. And at that time I had like 12 or 15 publications. He goes, you come out and whenever you need to write the back lounge area, he goes, instead of it being a lounge, man, I'll, I'll have them, I'll have them pop a table in there and you work on your articles. Let's go on the road. So I went with him for a couple of weeks. <laughs> Let's go. Oh, so I, I flew out to Texas <laughs> and um, do all that. And then the tour is going to, the, the tour is going to start. And he calls me again and he, and he, he, uh, he starts sending me tour dates and saying, Hey, this is when the tour starts. And I went, Whoa, 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 Whoa. I go, Tommy, you're not a rapper. You, you can't have a posse. The only guys that can go on your bus, they got, they have to work for you. I said, I would love to go on tour. I haven't been on tour in a, in a, in a while. This was before, well before the poison tour. So my tough tour stuff, you know, it had been a while. And so Tommy was going to be out in a really nice Prevo bus. 
He was going to be opening up for Brad Paisley. I mean, it was going to be some, it was going to be a, it was going to be a cool tour. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, um, I thought it had to be a lot less anxiety than like what, what a rock and roll tour with tough was, you know what I mean? I thought yeah. oh, it's going to be, it's going to be a little more laid back. Yeah, like, well. I want to I go do this. And I want to, I'm old enough now. I, I'm going to, and I did it. And then I was away from touring. I'm going to go do this and I'm going to enjoy being on the road. I'm going to make, I just going to, I'm going to get the most. Out. I'm going to make it work for me. Yep. As much as I going to do whatever he needs. But I, I told him, I said, I can't just go out as your buddy. I got to have a job. And so they found a job for me and, and I spent the better part of a now a country tour is different than rock and roll country. You go out for two or three days, you're home for four days. You go out for two days, you're home for three days. You're out for five. Okay. You're home yep. for two weeks. You're in and out because of Nashville being so centrally located. They can, they can move yep. back and forth. Um, when you're out in LA, you, you go out and you swing around the U S and back. Yep. So that's, that's how I got on the road. And then it started to get to where rather than come to Nashville, when we would have those days off more and more, I just started going to Austin and hanging out with the Steiner family. And then Tommy's house was like, it wasn't, it wasn't the Los Angeles house that I moved into um, by no means. Cause he was the only one living there. Um, but he knew how to, he knew how to have a good time and, he knew how to invite over people who were knew how to have a good time. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, but, but man, he, he just, he like it was, we were having a good time every night. So after a while I would go out to, we'd, we'd go out to have like barbecue and, and have inc the most incredible steaks I've ever had out at Bobby and Jolaine's house. And then everybody would, you know, climb into Tommy's Hummer to head back into town. And, and I would, I would ask Bobby, you know, Hey, mind if I just hang out here tonight? And he'd be like, Oh, you, you're tired. You need a night. I would just stay out at their house and their house was way out. And at that time, way out in Bastrop. So if you made the choice to stay, um, you were, you were, you were out, you were, you were out of the yep. mix, but I enjoyed, cause that, that allowed me to have just some fascinating conversations with, um, with Bobby. Bobby. And, and I just, I, I really, really, uh, I just, I admire that. I admire the whole family, you know, I absolutely admire the whole family. Um, but, but Bobby is, and he's one of the most incredible motivators and he's never gone and like tried to capitalize on it. He just like, if you're fortunate enough to, to know him, you, you're just, you're just going to be, you're going to be that much better for knowing who he is. Uh, it yeah. just that's like, cool. yeah, that, that that's small world. Yeah. I would all kind of tied in together though. Hey, but that was before your PBR career and, and you know, Way before, yeah. People yeah. I look up to, and I've been in the rodeo world my whole life, never met them, right? You, through different avenues, somehow get intertwined with, you know, one of the most famous yeah. rodeos and, or families in rodeo, right? Yeah. So, you never know what rodeo. It was fun. 
I when 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 uh, um, when Sid came to those PBR events, I remember the fourth one because he came. Well, let's back this up, Keith. Um, so Tanner knows. Keith they did, suggested uh, to Randy uh, about yeah, getting Sid to come. A, they, had yeah. a, they had the team shootouts on ESPN too, and there was a there was a meeting about man, who are we going to get to do the the behind the shoot interviews? Well, I I was so new and naive, I didn't know that no one recommends anything that like that ran at that time randy says here's what we need what what do you think and you wait till he says something and then everyone jumps on that and says, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. That's well i was i i was a dick i guess i don't know i i said hey what about what about sid steiner i i said before i came here and i was writing and producing some television shows i I shot a pilot with the Steiner brothers that was, and Sid was really good. Yeah. And Randy was like kind of sat up and he said, wow, that, that's not a half bad idea. And I remember JW Hart's comment was, I hope he at least wears a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> like they get shirt off and got, yeah. mu got muscles and all tattoos. Oh, yeah. And so that's how, they ended up hiring Sid to do the behind the shoots interview for the wow. four shootouts. And the fourth one was in Pueblo. And when the, when it was, when the shootout was over or the team, yeah, team shootout, when that was over, there was some kind of big after party there was, and it was at the fairgrounds. And so there's this fairground building. And when you go to go in the building, you had to have a ticket to get in. Even if you had your PBR pass or whatever, there was a ticket yeah. to get into this dinner. And so we went to uh, go turn the tickets in and it was Sid, me and Lindsay Ross or we're walking in the three of us together and the ticket taker he innocently just said this as he was tearing. He goes, Oh, you guys are with the rodeo to which I replied. No, the bull riding. And, and Sid punched me in the shoulder. Like I thought I was going to get my shoulder operated. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't being mean. He just, he hit me in the shoulder and I looked at him like, what? And he goes, eight months, eight months. And you're already drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah. Keith, there's, there's one uh, question that we ask everybody that comes on the podcast um uh, this is obviously the nfp podcast so what does hashtag nfp mean to you well i don't know what it means to me per se but i, I know that i fit it <laughs> i, I want to say i'm going to be bold i'm going to be bold and say i'm the only person that either one of you know who's actually hung out at the playboy mansion <laughs> that's true that's good true. point yeah. and that you know what you deserve that yeah, that's you owned it right there with that line nope. you know what you know what's rewarding for me keith is getting these young cool cats like tanner on board like he's keeping me young with this podcast and you know he's been working uh he's been working with me with the agency and whatnot you know he just he gets it um yeah. i didn't really make that hashtag up to to for it to trend I was pissed off. That's why I did it. <laughs> yeah. So it's right. it's kind of cool how it's transpired and what it is today. It, yeah, it's really uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I will see it as a badge of honor to wear it, really, to be honest with you. All right, KRC, once again, we appreciate you coming on uh, the show, the NFP podcast presented by 3D Entertainment. Hey!